another episode of In a Pickle, the show dedicated to the less glamorous side of baseball. I am your host, Dave Houghton, and I thank you for coming back after last week's, uh, well, dark, dark show. I probably should have put up a disclaimer in the beginning of the of that show. Um, Marty Bergen was a uh, very sick, sick individual. Um, go back and listen to that episode at iapradio.com if you haven't listened to it yet and you want to be uh, sad after because it's a uh, this is your disclaimer if you haven't listened to the show if you haven't listened to that episode then this is your disclaimer beware I, I got a lot of feedback from that show and I thank you all who actually listened to that episode that was kind of a, um, a feeler uh, to see who actually listens. And with the feedback that I got, you're listening. So thank you so much. Marty Bergen wasn't a very well-known individual, but today I have a very well-known individual, especially if you followed baseball in the early 80s. Last week, I told you that this week I will be talking about Lamar Hoyt. So let's get right into it because this is a pretty long story. He was, uh, he had quite the sheet. So, Lamar was originally signed by the New York Yankees as a fifth round selection in the 1973 draft, but he was traded with pitching prospect Bob Polinsky, who never made it past AAA, actually. And also, he was with outfielder and owner of the best Afro in baseball, Oscar Gamble. And he was also traded with $200,000 to the Chicago White Sox in 1977. That deal would send the Yankees shortstop Bucky Effin Dent. So if you are a Red Sox fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hoyt was a relief pitcher when he made the White Sox his home in 1980. He switched to his starting rotation in 1982 and then tied a club record by winning his first nine decisions. The record was first set by Lefty Williams in 1917, and then tied by Orville Grove in 1943. Here's a fun fact for you. Lefty Williams was better known for being part of the Black Sox scandal. Williams only received $5,000 half of what was actually promised to the players, a sum that was still almost double his 1919 salary of $2,600. So Lamar Hoyt ended up leading the AL with 19 wins and showed devastating control on the mound. And he only walked 48 batters in 239.2 innings. In 1983, Hoyt was even better, this time winning the AL Cy Young Award. His 24-10 win-loss record with a 3.66 ERA and even better control than the previous season, walking only 31 batters in 260 innings and leading the league in fewest walks per nine innings for the first of three straight seasons. This would help the White Sox win an AL West title. He pitched a complete game victory over the Baltimore Orioles in the first game of the 1983 ALCS, 
giving up only one run on five hits with no walks. Lamar's pitching was the only game the White Sox won in that series. The White Sox fell to fifth place in 1984 with a record of 74 and 88, as Hoyt's record fell to 13 and 18 with a 4.47 ERA. He went from winning the most games in the AL in 1983 to losing the most games in the AL in 1984. The 1984 season is most famous for the 25-inning game that was played on May 8, 1984 against the Milwaukee Brewers. The game had to be suspended after 17 innings at 1 in the morning, but it was completed the following night with the White Sox winning 7-6 to six on a Harold Bynes walk-off home run. Here's a fun fact. Harold Bynes played for five different teams with his 21-year career, playing for the White Sox and the Orioles three different times. Hoping for a rebound from his former Cy Young award-winning season, the San Diego Padres traded Ozzie Guillen, Tim Lawler, Bill Long, and Louis Salazar to the White Sox for Hoyt, Ken Christian, and Todd Simmons during the 1984-85 offseason. Ozzie Guillen would go on to win the AL Rookie of the Year Award in 1985 and then lead the team to their first World Series title in 88 years back in 2005. Hoyt's career with the Padres became promising. In 1985, he made the NL's All-Star team his first season in the league, though he was named by his own manager, Dick Williams, over fellow Padres Andy Hawkins, who started the year 11-0. Lamar also became the All-Star Games MVP, giving up one run in three innings of work to earn that win. This episode is full of fun facts, and here is a new fun fact. Andy Hawkins is known for being the first and, at press time, the only San Diego Padre pitcher to win a World Series game. Hawkins earned the victory pitching in relief in Game 2 of the 1984 World Series, which the Padres lost to the Detroit Tigers in five games. He was also the losing pitcher in the fifth and final game of this World Series. For the season with the Padres, Lamar Hoyt went 16-8 with an ERA of 3.47. Baseball writer Bill James said Hoyt had the best control of any National League pitcher at this time. It seemed like a trade to America's finest city had all things coming up for Hoyt. But you know how this all works out by now. Nothing can last forever, and nothing stays on top. Lamar was badly thrashed in the second half of the season after the All-Star game. It turned out that he had torn three tendons that tie the rotator cuff together and later found out that he had also had two bicep tears. He was not placed on the DL list, and the Padres never really looked into it thoroughly. Lamar said that his treatment for these tears and rips and all this stuff that's in his arm was a little bit of ice, some stretching, and rest, along with a cortisone shot here and there. In February of 1986, doctors in San Diego told him that he was probably washed up. The rotator cuff in his right shoulder didn't rotate quite right. And if he had surgery, they told him that there was a 95% chance he would never pitch again. They gave him two choices. Either you have surgery or just simply pitch through the pain. At this point, sleep for Hoyt was out of the question. Even before he'd seen a doctor, 
He had gone to a physician's home in South Carolina to get some Valium and some sleeping pills for his wife, Sylvia. Now, he'd done some drugs as a kid, but he never messed around with pills. But now he was alone in San Diego, wondering if he'd gone from Cy Young winner, all-star, MLB player, high on his horse, to just another washed-out player who was going to be featured on IAP Radio. That's true. In the 80s, he he knew that this show was coming around. He wanted to give me some content, so I'm sure you understand what direction he went into. Hoyt had other problems not easily fixed by ice, stretching, or rest. Hoyt is a sleep addict. He's someone who needs to sleep so bad, he'll do anything to get it. He'll smoke a few joints, pop a few pills, read a few boring novels, whatever it takes to get some rest. His doctors in San Diego still didn't know why he wasn't sleeping, but some say it was probably because of his troubled marriage or maybe his troubled childhood, or maybe it was just his bum shoulder that was keeping him up all night. At this time, he was having difficulties at home with his wife, Sylvia, while she was back in South Carolina. He needed to get some sleep so bad that he took a couple of her Valiums with him. He needed sleep. So... Hoyt swallowed a few pills, he had a little pot on him, and he just wanted to go to bed. Later on, his lawyers would argue that the fact he couldn't sleep severely impaired his decision-making capabilities, which seemed plausible to explain what happened next, or really what happened several times after this. The trouble began immediately after Padre's doctors suggested that Hoyt's arm might be done. Lamar was stopped at the California San Ysidro Border Patrol checkpoint trying to cross over to Tijuana. He was carrying marijuana, Valium, and Quaaludes. Hoyt paid a small fine, and that was that. A week had passed, and he was served divorce papers. That very same day, he was busted again, this time for running a red light while carrying some pot and a switchblade. He pled guilty to a misdemeanor. This time, Padre's owner, Joan Crock, and team president, Ballard Smith, sent Hoyt off to a Minnesota clinic to be treated for alcohol abuse. He was there, not willingly, for 28 days. During this stretch of time, this prevented him from playing most of spring training. And when he came back, he had a disappointing 8-11 season with an ERA of 5.15. This was would actually be Lamar's first subpar season in the big leagues. After that season, Lamar, still in a lot of pain and trying so hard to go to sleep, ended up trying to cross the border again in San Isidro, this time on October 28th. This time, he had a little more than a few pills and some pot. He had 500 pills stuffed in his pants and socks like a mule through a plea bargain The charges were reduced to a misdemeanor, and he was sentenced to 45 days at a federal prison camp. Which doesn't actually really sound like a fun camp. Plus, he was giving five years of supervised probation and a $5,000 fine. He also had to forfeit his Porsche. Although the federal war on drugs began in 1971, The mid-80s marked its new height due to the arrival of crack cocaine and the deaths of prominent athletes like Boston Celtics first-round pick Len Bias, who 
if you don't remember, overdosed that same June right after he was drafted by the Boston Celtics. On October 27th, 1986, the day before Lamar Hoyt's faithful border run, President Reagan signed a $1.7 billion anti-drug law. This legislation is not intended as a means of filling our jails with drug users, Reagan said. What we must do as a society is identify those who use drugs and give them the support that they need. This was the law that introduced wide disparities and penalties for crack and powder cocaine possession. And boy, did it ever fill those jails with the users. The San Diego Padres had seen enough and not only released Lamar, but also refused to pay his $3 million contract. And if that wasn't enough, MLB commissioner suspended him for an entire year. Was this really all because he couldn't sleep? Padres owner, who was a anti-drug activist, vowed to have a clean team. Getting caught once equal two strikes. If a player failed again, the Padres shunned him. Perhaps not coincidentally, but two fatalities from baseball's drug error were associated with the Padres. Just go back and listen to the Eric Show show on iepradio.com. Also caught in the Padres' drug clean was second baseman Alan Wiggins. Even though Eric Show's drug problem didn't come up to surface until later, and so the reason for his long stay in San Diego, Wiggins was traded immediately out of town. He died at 32 of AIDS after contracting HIV from an IV drug use. Now, this death really is not on the Padres. But in their quest to set an example, they were the first to turn their backs on Wiggins. Wiggins went from hitting leadoff in the World Series to being homeless and then dead of AIDS within a few years. Here's another fun fact for you. The Orioles once gave an IQ test to their players, and Wiggins scored higher than anyone except for Weaver. Wiggins' intelligence had caused problems in his relationships with his teammates. He said that Wiggins had always been reserved and had a difficult time trusting other people. He'd like to read books and newspapers, and his teammates would be turned off by this display of intellect, much like Eric Show did. Lamar Hoyt ended up filing complaints against both the Padres and the MLB, and he actually won. But by this time, Hoyt was going broke. The arbitrator for this case decided that Hoyt should get paid again and should absolutely try to play again. The White Sox would actually give him a second chance and signed him even though he needed shoulder surgery and might not pitch again until 1989. Larry Himes, the White Sox general manager at the time, who wasn't around when Hoyt played for the Sox the first time, says he hates drug addicts, hates drugs, hates alcohol, and he hates whatever else is associated with that lifestyle. Himes was a uh, weird type of manager. He would tell his players to either wear socks to the ballpark or pay a big fine. He also banned alcohol from the clubhouse. Larry Himes had a claim to fame, though, with the White Sox. He was responsible for building up their farm system with players like all-star Jack McDowell, Robert Ventura, Frank Thomas, and Alex Fernandez. Himes agreed to sign the 32-year-old Lamar Hoyt because everyone from team owner the public's relation director and secretaries along with players and even the trainers all said Lamar was a great guy. 
We were shocked to see him get in trouble. Himes then sent a memo to every minor leaguer and scout in the organization and told them that Lamar Hoyt better not do drugs. And if he does, then he's out. Himes also said, everybody thinks Lamar Hoyt's their pal, and you're going to give him another chance. I guess so will I. Lamar was so thankful to finally have something to look forward to, saying that he can use the White Sox doctors in minor league system to get ready. He was still feeling a little twinge when he threw, and tests were done to see if he needed surgery. Lamar, at this point, had a belly and a half, weighing around 250 pounds. The White Sox had asked him to go to a fat farm back in 1984. This time, they just told him to go on a diet. But first, before the rehab and the diet would even begin, Dr. Rogers, the team doctor, would put Hoyt in a sleep clinic to find out what kind of sleep disorder he was suffering from. This is the one where they hook all those wires up to your brain and see what's going on. The White Sox and especially team owner were very understanding, which eased the pressure on Lamar. They told him not to worry about the comeback and not to rush it at all. The team will be ready for you when you are ready. Growing up, Lamar didn't have the best life. His parents divorced when he was only a year old. His father actually won custody. Then his mother would try to take him, and then his father would try to take him back. And then one day, Lamar was dropped off at his aunt's house by his father while his father quit his job and never showed back up. Lamar began calling his aunt mom and his cousin's brother. Then one day, his favorite quote-unquote brother was killed in a rifle accident. Then his uncle, who he looked up to as a strong father figure, died unexpectedly. The one good thing that came from this tragedy was the marriage to his high school sweetheart, Sylvia. But even this too would end. Still, he managed to reach the big leagues and win a Cy Young Award with the White Sox and win the MVP in the 85 All-Star Game as a Padre. Even though Lamar was trying to turn his life around, the attempted comeback with the White Sox was very short-lived. The medical examination revealed his shoulder was too shredded and far beyond repair, and Hoyt was forced to retire. Aside from a 1991 drunk driving arrest, Hoyt managed to stay out of the news since. He got off more lightly than teammates show in Wiggins, but he was still a victim of the drug era in baseball nonetheless. Career-wise, Hoyt went 98-68 and 68 with the 3.99 ERA in the eight years he played in the major leagues. He also had 48 career complete games, including eight shutouts and 10 saves. And like I said, 1985 All-Star MVP, Cy Young Award winner. Unfortunately, on November 29th, 2021, Lamar Hoyt would die of cancer at the age of 66. Now, there is a lot to unpack here of the baseball drug era of the 80s. If there was only help where help was needed, a lot of these guys like Steve Howe, Sammy Stewart, Eric Show, Alan Wiggins, they might actually all still be here. I'm just happy that teams nowadays want to help more than just push away. Even though these guys are employees of these teams, they're also investments, paying guys tons of money to play ball. And if they have some sort of problem, your investment is going to soil. So why not give them the help that they need? All right, so that is Lamar Hoyt. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Go over to iepradio.com and check out all the past shows on Spotify and Buzzsprout. If you're on Spotify, please rate and review the show. That would be so helpful. While you're at iepradio.com, follow the links to our Twitter, our Instagram, the TikTok, and YouTube. Go ahead and follow all those and just support the show. Thank you so much for everyone who has been supporting this show. It is much appreciated, and I see all of you out there doing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.